Well, if you would open uh, your Bibles to Romans, uh, very beginning of Romans. We're looking at Romans 1, verses 1 through 18. It's on page 939 in your pew Bible. Last week, we began a four-part sermon series on evangelism titled, Messengers of Grace Sharing the Good News. We studied Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, where he calls his followers, that's us. He calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we also learned that, if you didn't already know, that the word gospel literally means good news. Today we look at the introduction to Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans. And towards the end of the passage, he makes his famous statement concerning the gospel. He writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What we will see is that Paul is all about the gospel. He lives it and breathes the gospel. And he calls the church in Rome to live and to breathe the gospel. And, of course, Scripture calls us as well to live and breathe the gospel and to share it with all we know, people we know. So, let's get started. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the, the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you that his life uh, was utterly changed on the road to persecution of Christians. And you've given him life in this gospel. And now he has written that we may understand more fully what this gospel is about and how we too have a calling to the nations, to the east end of Long Island with this wonderful gospel. 
We confess it is hard. We confess that we fall short daily. Help us, Holy Spirit, to point us to Christ and to find our hope in him and give us encouragement this morning, we pray. Amen. Paul begins this letter by, uh, by saying, this introduction by saying, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why say that? Well, the simple answer is because nobody in Paul's day and nobody today looks favorably upon the gospel. You know, often I meet people here in the Hamptons at some event or at a party and invariably some successful person, uh, some prosperous Wall Street trader turns to me and asks, so, what do you do? And then they hear that I'm a pastor. You can almost see the wheels, the gears turning in their heads. Pastor? Pastor? What the? Why would anyone choose that job? What does he even do? How does he even get paid? He must not be very motivated. <laughs> He's a lazy guy. Part of me wants to rationalize with them, but you don't understand. I went to a top business school. I sold my computer business so that I could... Never mind. Such is the response that I often get when meeting people. I hadn't even begun to speak a word of the gospel, and they've already deemed me and my Savior irrelevant. Perhaps you've experienced instances like that as well. But understand this. Through this all, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I delight in the gospel, but I need to grow in my delight in the gospel. We live in a world that ignores and ridicules and downplays the gospel. Paul knew this all too well. When you look at his missionary journeys, you see the thousands of kilometers he's traveled and the dozens upon dozens of cities and towns in which he shared the gospel. And you see all the opposition, the beatings, the imprisonments, the attempts to kill him. All that opposition, and still he writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's implying, neither should you, Romans, and neither should you, Grace Church, be ashamed of the gospel. You know, the opposite of, uh, of ashamed, I had to look it up, chat GPT, so helpful. Uh, it's a little used word, unabashed. Unabashed literally means not beaten into submission or embarrassment. <laughs> Of course, its use has been changed a bit to describe a state of being not embarrassed, uh, not ashamed. Now, listen, for us to embrace our calling to be salt and light in this decaying and dark world, for us to be outwardly facing as a church and full of unabashed gospel-sharing people, we need Paul to teach us something this morning, something important about the gospel and so here is our main proposition for those who are taking notes. Because the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to this world, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. Well, how many main points this morning? Two, just two, not three. We're going to change that trend. We're, 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 we're a two main point church from here on. And then next week I'll have five. And you'll be like, but you said. All right. First point, gospel opposition 
And the second is gospel power. You know, I don't think it will require too many words for me to convince you that this world is opposed to the gospel, for you cannot help but feel it in your bones, right? It's why we tend to clam up and not share the gospel when we could and when we should. But let us take a few minutes to dig beneath the surface, to uncover two significant reasons why the world is opposed to the gospel. See, otherwise you will continue with me to language with, languish with guilty feelings. Doing so will help us to better understand why we tend to live as those who are ashamed of the gospel. It will also lay a foundation for our second main point, the power of the gospel. So why is it that the gospel is opposed almost everywhere you go? There's two reasons. One, because the world thinks that the gospel is foolish. And two, because this world thinks the gospel is offensive. First, the foolishness of the gospel. Paul writes at the beginning of his first letter to the church in Corinth these words. Listen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe, uh, but to um, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word power is important. We'll look at it later. For now, the gospel is foolish. You know, most people, when you share the gospel to them, will will think to themselves, when you, they're, they're going to think something along the lines, what? God sent his son to die for my sins and that he was like resurrected? Like from the dead, really? You believe that garbage, seriously? And they're not gonna say that to your face. Like my brother's never like said that to me, but I know he's thought that. (laughs) Wherever Paul went to share the gospel, people mocked him and ridiculed him. Most people opposed Paul, as he shared the gospel. I say most because what? Some people came to faith. But everyone else considered Paul a fool. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, which is why further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes, for since, listen, in the wisdom of God, all right, the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs. You know, they want signs and wonders. Greeks, of course, what? Seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now listen, here is where you're going to mature as a Christian. See, It's true, like the gospel makes perfect sense to us, right? Of everything on earth that we have heard, there is nothing that makes more sense than the gospel, that I'm a sinner, I need salvation, and God in his grace sends his son. There's nothing in our minds that makes more sense than that. Which is why the second half of 1 Corinthians 18 says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we mature in our evangelism when we hold Paul's statement here before us. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We need to hold these two things before us. 
The gospel of God is simultaneously foolishness to those who don't believe, while being absolutely wonderful to those who do. Now, listen, we must understand this. Otherwise, we will languish in being ashamed of the gospel. Listen, God designed it all this way. God knows that the gospel is foolishness. He knows this. He designed it this way. He intended it to come across this way. He knows that when you tell 100 people about the gospel, 99 will think you are a fool for believing it. God knows this. And listen, God is not going to change his gospel to make it more appealing. So something needs to change. And that something is us. See, when you know up front that the gospel itself is foolish, listen, then you are set free from being the fool. Imagine yourself talking with an unbelieving friend and the conversation turns spiritual. Instead of shying away like you used to, you think, the gospel that I hold to is foolishness. It's, gonna be, it's foolish to my friend unless, Holy Spirit, you powerfully work in her. So, Spirit, I pray that you come upon her. Make these foolish words into something powerful and beautiful in her life. Can you see how knowing that the gospel is foolish changes how you care for other people's souls? Your friend may oppose the gospel because she thinks it's foolish. She might even think you're a fool for believing it, but she needs to hear it. Listen, God is glorified in your sharing of his gospel, whether people believe it or not. You see, it's not about you. So first, we can be ashamed of the gospel because the people we share it with think they think it's foolish, and by extension, they think we are foolish. Second, though, the gospel is opposed almost everywhere you go because of how offensive it is to people. See, the gospel is offensive at the very core of a person. You know, we get offended every day, do we not? I just got to drive your car around here, and you're like, what? It was my turn, you know? Like when your teacher gives you a lower score on your paper than you thought you deserved, you get offended, do you not? Or when your boss recognizes someone else for the work that you did? Or when you find your friend gossiped about you? I, I told you that in secret, in privacy. Why would you share that? We're offended. We're offended like this all the time. But typically, these offenses don't penetrate that deep into a person's core, do they not? But the gospel offends us at the deepest of level. See, think about it. Listen, the gospel says you are not good enough for God and there's nothing you can do about it. Tell me that's not offensive. The gospel says all of your supposed good works are really not good in God's eyes because your good works are not done with love for God or for his glory. They're done for your own glory and self-love. The gospel says to those who believe they've lived a good enough life, a moral life, that all your good works and deeds were really a means for avoiding God. 
The gospel says salvation is a free gift of God's grace, but people are offended at any suggestion that they need grace. The gospel says that people don't have within themselves the means to save themselves. The gospel is offensive because it says, get off the throne of your own life and bow a knee before the throne of King Jesus. The gospel is offensive because it says, die to self that you may come alive in Christ. The gospel says you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. The gospel is offensive. There's nothing more offensive on earth than the gospel. Nothing. My point is that no matter who you share the gospel with, they will be offended. Unless, of course, God is at work in their lives, drawing them to him. Can you see how the gospel is offensive at a much deeper level than like someone making fun of the hole in your sweater, right? The gospel is offensive to the very core. And so it's important, and actually it's critical that we understand this. See, if we do not understand that most every person on the face of the earth is vehemently opposed to the gospel, we will easily be ashamed of the gospel, right? Does that not make sense? Think it through. It's in our nature, right? It's in our nature to avoid, at all costs, looking foolish or offending anybody. And if we actively avoid looking foolish and offending people with the gospel, then we're going to fail to live out our calling to be salt and light in this earth. But now we know something we might not have thought much about before, that the gospel is foolishness. The gospel is offensive to virtually everyone who hears it from our lips. And so, listen, Christians, when we embrace the truth that the gospel is foolish and offensive, we become a people who are not ashamed of the gospel, and we live out these unabashed lives for Christ. Grace Church, we want this, right? The sooner we understand and embrace this, the sooner we can grow in our outreach, in our love, in our concern for the people who live out here on the East End. We'll share the gospel with them. That is the opposition to the gospel. Now for the power of the gospel. If your Bibles are open, you'll notice that right after Paul's words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, come the words that answer the why question. Why wasn't Paul, and by extension, why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? And the, kind of the rest of this point is going to go through that verse. The very next words from her pen, and from his pen, is, are these. For it is the power of God. My friends, when we understand the greatness of the power of God in the gospel, we will joyfully desire to share the gospel everywhere and with everyone. So let's begin where Paul begins. He begins with God. Did you notice? The gospel is God's gospel. In verse 1, Paul says he set apart for what? The gospel of God. My friends, listen. The gospel 
has been God's gospel long before it became our gospel. Why is that? It's because God is a God of great love and mercy, and he's a God who relentlessly pursues his people. God God longs for our eyes to be lifted up from all of the filler that we see in this world and to be placed upon him. He knows this is good for us. God knows what fallen mankind needs. God sees us running around preoccupied with just about everything but him. And so here at the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul draws our attention up to God. I don't know about you, but I need that. Now, one of the things we need to grow out of is this belief that the gospel is something God simply does for us. No, the gospel is something God does first and foremost for himself. Yes, we are the beneficiaries. But long before the gospel became good news for fallen man, it began as good news to God himself. And also understand and embrace this truth. The gospel pleases God. I mean, he delights in the gospel. Cast from your minds any notion of God reluctantly forgiving sinners. No, we are the reluctant ones. We are the ones who repeatedly say, no, I don't need rescue. People are like the frog I once found, frantically struggling to get out of my swimming pool. He was swimming and tirelessly swimming against the coping, hopeless to save himself. I came to rescue him. But as I bent down gently towards him with my hand, he swam to the bottom. He didn't want my rescue. He eventually got my rescue anyway. The gospel is God's gospel. Whether you want rescue from him or not, he's there. Whether you rejoice in the gospel or not, God does. And if you have experienced the salvation of the gospel, it's because God jumped into the pool of your life, grabbed you when you were swimming away from him, and rescued you. The question for us with regards to evangelism then is, if God so lovingly and persistently pursued you, will you not with great love pursue your unbelieving neighbors and friends? And if you are here and you have yet to believe the gospel, understand this. You believe a gospel. This world offers you Hundreds of different gospels or good newses to find salvation in, perhaps find salvation in the gospel of relationships or in the gospel of career success, to find salvation in the gospel of the Instagram worthy life. Listen, you do believe in some gospel. There is some good news with which your mind and your soul, your entirety of your being is attached to. And you live life in faith in that gospel. And then consider this. 
There are numerous gospels. There's almost as many gospels as there are people walking on earth. There's numerous gospels you can attach your life to, but there's only one good news that is God's good news. Just one. You were made by God to enjoy God. His gospel restores that for you. So believe the one gospel, the one good news that can actually truly satisfy your soul. Believe in the gospel of God. Well, not only is this God's gospel, but Paul calls it God's son's gospel. Look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. The son is, of course, Jesus. This Jesus, this is Jesus' good news, my friends. It's the gospel of his son. You know, the English word of has many different uses if you've ever studied languages. For instance, the phrase the gospel of his son can have a possessive, possessive use. That's a hard one to say. Um, This gospel belongs to the son just as it belongs to the father, you know. It wasn't like Jesus was up in heaven and the father said, okay, son, I have good news for the world. You're going to go down there and save my people. And then Jesus goes, oh, gee, dad, come on. I'm in the middle of Minecraft, you know. (laughs) No, the father so loved the world that he sent his only son. So to Jesus so loved the world that he said, yes, father, I will go. The English word of has another use here. It's that of agency. For instance, we could say that this is the last symphony of Beethoven. Beethoven being the agent that brought the symphony into existence. In a similar way, the gospel of the Son refers to the agency of Jesus. Jesus accomplished the gospel. That is why the gospel is a call to believe in the agency of the Son, the work that he has done. Which brings us further into Paul's statement concerning the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. No one's left behind. You know, there are many aspects to God's power. Of course, there's his power to create all things, and there is his power to sustain all things. Here, here Paul speaks of God's power to save us. You know, the problem that we all have, every single human being, is that we cannot save ourselves. That's why the gospel is so offensive. We're all like frogs in a pool. We all lack the power to save ourselves, but God in love and in power saves us. Elsewhere, Paul writes that God has the power to save. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, listen, made us alive together with Christ. God did this. By grace you have been saved. Here the Bible points out our powerlessness to save ourselves. We are dead, incapable of moving, but God made us alive. God is rich in mercy and love. And with that power 
and mercy and love, he makes us new, causes us to be born anew, places his spirit in us, and places Christ's life in us. This is all God's work by his power. You and I are incapable of doing any of that. Also note this. It's the last point I want to make concerning the power of the gospel. There is power in the gospel. In other words, just as there is power in your car battery, unless, of course, your last name is Sorrell. You can ask me later. Or you can ask Lisa. Just as there's power in your car battery, so there is power in the gospel of God. Do you understand that? Which means the power for salvation doesn't reside in us, right? It's not how convincing you are, winsome, or good-looking. No. The power is in the gospel. Which means that we can and should expect powerful things to happen when we simply share the good news. On the converse, if we don't share the good news, there's no power. God powerfully works in and through his people, yes, I'm not diminishing our role, but he also works in and through his gospel when it is shared. Do you believe this? Does that make sense? It's something we need to live out in faith. That's why Paul ends, it's one of the reasons why he ends with this call to faith in verse 17. There's, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. There's a lot going on there, but just let's just focus on what it is for us with regards to sharing the gospel. It's a call for us to live a faithful life. We have been made righteous. Righteous by faith. So continue to live out this faith. Believe that God powerfully works in and through us, through his gospel, to save people. Do you guys believe that? Let me summarize and make some final application. Paul opens this letter to the church in Rome, talking about how he's been evangelizing, encouraging them, to evangelize. He's been focusing on the gospel and its power. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. How how has Paul's words challenged you this morning? Not the person next to you, but you. As you've been listening, have you been thinking about how this applies to your own life? Are you able to see perhaps where you fall short with regards to living out the gospel and sharing it with others? Do you perhaps see ways in which you're, well, you're a little bit ashamed of the gospel? I see it in my own life. It's just kind of natural, right? Hopefully the truth that the gospel is opposed just about everywhere you preach it, hopefully that helps you. When you know that the gospel really is foolishness in this world, absolute foolishness, when you know this, and you know that God knows this, better yet, God has planned it this way. 
when you proclaim the foolish message and people believe, then you really come to realize that the power wasn't in you, but it came from heaven. There is power in God's gospel to save people. My friends, there is no greater thrill as a Christian than to see someone who was once dead and respond and come to life in the gospel by God's power. Yes, you spoke the words, but it's power in his words. There's nothing more enjoyable than that. And so let's challenge us here. Can we be a church that repents of its lack of zeal for reaching our neighbors out here on the East End? Can we be a church that longs to remove anything that hinders us from freely sharing this good news? And it really is good news. Perhaps we need to spend some time fasting and praying and confessing and committing. You know, the Lord works greatly in his people when we humble ourselves like this. And as you're praying for people to invite to Christianity Explore, try to remember that you're inviting them to something that the world thinks is foolish. So get over it. But also believe that God will hear your prayers. And for those whom you wish to invite, he will hear your prayers. He is pleased to open the doors into their lives so that they would come and, and hear the gospel. I mean, it's really not about us. It's about the power of God and the, and the glory of God. Because the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to this world, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, these words are kind of salty and sweet. They hit us uh, kind of below the belt. We, we acknowledge that for as good as you are to us, we fail in so many ways. This is just another one on the list, and we can feel such guilt and shame, and it can turn us inward and cause us to sit on our hands even more. But we know that your gospel is good. We know that there's great power in it, and we know it's foolish, and the world opposes it. And yet, our Lord Jesus came into this world with this message and gave his life for this message of hope. So may we be transformed as a church and as individuals, we pray. Amen.